Welcome to the Go Solo Show, powered by Subkit, the number one place for inspiration to help you start, run, or grow a winning business. I'm Johnny Quirk, and each week we bring you some amazing guests from a wide variety of businesses, all talking about their journey, motivations, and top tips for entrepreneur success. We deliberately aim to bring you stories, interviews, and real people who are fully deep in the trenches, building their businesses, and sharing actionable insights that you can use for your own entrepreneurial business journey. So whatever you're building, we're excited to be part of that journey with you. If you like what we do, don't forget to subscribe. Now let's get on with the show. Hey guys, welcome to the Go Solo Show. I'm Johnny Quirk, and we're back once again with some amazing stories on how to start, run, and grow a winning business. So on this week's show, we're yet again talking about booze, and whether that's cutting-edge craft breweries, artisanal traditional methods with a modern twist, or whatever you basically like to put down your throat, this show is for you. So today, I'm really, really excited to invite two guests with a very good Go Solo warm welcome to them, and that's first off, Gail Winters of Goodlot Farm and Farmstead Brewing. Gail, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you. And also joining us today from Canada, we have Ben Lesh of Royal Canadian Mead. Ben, welcome to the Go Solo show. Good to be here, Johnny. Thank you. Well, like I said, one of my favorite passions. Uh, I've been uh, enjoying brewing for many, many years. So I'm really interested in like kind of learning about how you built up your business today. But as we ask all of our guests when we kick off on this show, let's start off by asking you, Gail, this question. And that is, in a nutshell, what is it your you know, what is your business? What is it that you do? And what sets you apart from everybody else? Yeah. Um, so Goodlot Farm and Farmstead Brewing is essentially a uh, farm-based brewery. <clears throat> We're located in the Caledon area. And um, we make beer using the hops that we grow on our farm. That and some other ingredients that we grow for some specialty beers. Um, our moniker is farm raised beer. And um, so we grow the ingredients and then we partner with other local farms. So what sets us apart, I believe, is that every beer that we've made so far has used 100% Ontario hops. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. And was that a conscious decision to like literally try and almost have like a circular economy within your own farm, grow the ingredients, do it environmentally great, that sort of stuff? Absolutely. We got into the brewing industry through the farming side. So we originally bought our farm in 2009 and tried to explore what we wanted to grow. Uh, we had close to 30 acres yeah. and uh, we were craft beer drinkers and we sort of saw this niche market of, of a specialty crop and growing hops. And we did that from 2011 until 2017, which we launched the brewery then. So we yeah, essentially were farming hops and selling to microbreweries then. So the idea of traceability and being able to grow the ingredients that went into the own product in our, into our own product was, was really, that was sort of essential. That was sort of what sort of motivated me to, to build this business. Amazing. And do you know what, just for anybody out there who doesn't know it, there's nothing in my mind that smells like spring or summer than, you know, nice sticky hops and the smell when you're close to them. It's an amazing smell, obviously, once it's in the beer, but obviously as they're kind of growing as well out in the oh, wild. Yeah. So. Oh, yeah. Walking the hop yards in the middle of, of August is quite amazing. <laughs> it's a great thing. It's a great thing. Yeah. And how about yourself, Ben? Like, tell us more about your business. You know, what is it you do? I'm a, an owner of Royal Canadian Mead. We produce Session Mead. Mead uh, is the world's oldest alcoholic beverage made from fermented honey. 
And yep. uh, we produce a very simple modern version of that comprising honey, water, yeast, and either hops or fresh pressed juice. It's an incredibly simple drink. And uh, we've already mentioned the circular economy and uh, because of uh, the, our use of honey as our kind of fermentable sugar, uh, we are also very committed to the idea of a circular economy. Every can that we produce uh, reflects the pollination of 185,000 wildflowers. And so one of our great aspirations with this business is to become truly regenerative so that the bigger we get, the better it is for the planet. Amazing. And I mean, it's great to obviously that you guys are so on the same wavelength as well as this as well. And I think, you know, people, you know, you're selling artisanal products, you're selling premium products, you're selling kind of, you know, lovingly crafted products. And I think the customer wants that more nowadays. You know, there's obviously been that move away from big shipments and, you know, lack of traceability. So that's really, really great to hear. Um, question for you, Gail, follow up on this. I know obviously you go beyond um, just you know, I say just cans of beer, but you know, like what else do you kind of like do? I know obviously I'm sure you've been talking to me in the past about the community, about events, you know, obviously you have the farm. Tell us more. So obviously I guess the core business is selling beer and, it, and is that direct to consumer, but what else do you do? What's the actual products that you sell in your business? Yeah. So um, yeah, you're right. So we do sell cans of beer. We also do a lot of specialty one-off uh, beers that we we sell in either 500 or 750 mil bottles that you can only mm. buy on site. Uh, but we do have uh, two beer gardens in the summer and we do host numerous events. So those beer gardens, when one beer garden has uh, rotating local chefs that a lot of them, well, there's two of them that harvest from our own farm yeah. and use those ingredients. Um, but we try to uh, source from other farms locally for that food. And then the other uh, beer garden has a, um, a stage. And so we're mainly known for bluegrass, but we try to support the local music scene as well. Yeah. Um, so those are great, I think, community hubs in itself. Um, but then, yeah, we're also quite involved with our local community in the sense that we'll uh, try to participate in as many sort of local festivals or events and um, also just try to be as charitable as we can. So we'll, we'll have a beer <clears throat> that a portion of that will go to um, the, the Meals on Wheels or a food drive or yeah. uh, we recently did Sold to Summer and all that money went to the SPCA, that kind of thing. So, so it almost seems like, like you're kind of like building out experiences and presences and actually playing something more than the product. Yeah, that's true. I think um, that as we've grown, I mean, the beer was the like, essentially for us, it was always about the hops and that, that ingredient, but now, it, and that transferred to the beer and now it's sort of transferred to a, a, a farm uh, like a tourism experience, exactly yeah. that. So you can come, we've got a disc golf course, you can walk the trails. Um, yeah, so it's sort of like you come in and, and sort of enjoy the day here. You can visit with the sheep, we have chickens. Yeah. Wow, sign me up next time I'm in Canada. This is what I'm doing. I love this yeah. sort of stuff when I'm away, whether it's doing brewery tours, but actually, you know, if I've been to Napa on the wine tours and whatever, you know, like I like to get involved and actually see yeah. more than just sitting in a bar during all day. So that's amazing. Exactly. It's not unusual on a Saturday to have more dogs and kids here than adults. <laughs> I can imagine actually everybody's got that and stuff like that. So yeah. no, it sounds amazing. And I guess the core thing is, is actually that helps you build your identity 
that helps generate word of mouth. And obviously the, the knock-on effect is you sell more cans of beer and you sell sell everything else as well from actually having that uh, down-to-earth presence as well. Yeah, and I, I think when you're enjoying a pint and you're literally sitting behind or beside you know, a hop yard that is 16, 18 feet tall, and you I can actually touch and feel the product as you're drinking. Uh, yeah. It's, it's an experience. People love it. And it's, uh, and they're, you know, they're kind of gorgeous to look at too. So. Yeah. I love this yeah. as well. They use the word experience as well. I think that's what we're always looking for really as well. Is, is it a similar situation with you, Ben? I mean, obviously, you know, obviously, you know, I've been on your website. I was, you know, recommend. I'm really excited about some of them actually. Like you do things like sour cherry meads and stuff like that. I'm sure, but I mean, like, do you, do you have you extended the brand out to tastings and services and stuff like that? Tell us about what the Royal Canadian Mead experience means. Yeah, it's inspiring to hear Gail speak about the experience of Good Lot. We are building uh, out something that we hope will be similar uh, in in really underlining the connection of our product to nature. And obviously for us, that is bees and beehives, um, yeah. not hops, but, but the principle is, is the exact same. So uh, we have a facility, uh, we, have a, we have a piece of land actually right now and a barn in Prince Edward County, yeah. which is uh, an agritourism hub about two and a half hours east of Toronto, kind of halfway between Toronto and Montreal. Uh, whereas again, would be about kind of an hour north of Toronto in Caledon, northwest. Um, so Prince Edward County is, is kind of a, an emerging region. There's a robust community of winemakers and, and microbrewers there. And so we're looking to really become a part of that community. And uh, we're at the very early days of a project to convert a 170-year-old post and beam bank barn into a production facility, tasting room, and really the kind of place that is so much in line with what Gail described in terms of being a place that people can come with their children, with their dogs, to spend a day, to enjoy the beverage, but also to really feel in a kind of visceral way the connection between the product and nature. And, yeah. and I think that for us, that's, that's the big idea with our company. And that's what really drives me and my partner, Mike, is reminding people where food and drink comes from and helping mm -hmm. them understand and remember that the most delicious things are the things that are most closely connected to the earth. Yeah. And it feels almost like it. We talked about hops being so fresh and feeling like it's that, but I guess the honey as well, that connection, we always talk about endangered bees and stuff like that and how they're so important for life as well. I think this is what you want to do. I think we all want to just feel more connected to nature, connected to the products and stuff we put inside our bodies as well. I'm going to actually go for you in this next question here, Ben, and then I'll go to you, Gail. But, you know, there are many reasons why people decide to change careers or there's many reasons why people decide to be in what they're into. Why mead? Why, why have you kind of ended up doing what you're doing? What was the driving passion to, to do what you've done? So, yeah, I appreciate that question. And mead was never remotely on the radar for me. I mean, it's, I mentioned it's the world's oldest alcoholic beverage, but it is certainly not particularly well known. Yeah. And uh, and it was not something that I thought I would ever do necessarily. Um, I have spent about a decade of my career working as a journalist. 
I spent about a decade of my career building a design studio that focused on branding and communications. And I'm now about six months into this chapter, which is trying to build this beverage company. And so for me personally, you know, there's a notion of, I, I like the idea of doing different things and yeah. having a, a series of different professional chapters. And so to be honest, I hope that in 10 years from now, I'll be doing something else. Um, I, I think that that's just the kind of person I am. And I like the idea of continuing to find new challenges. This chapter is so exciting to me for a couple of reasons. First, the simplicity of the drink, it embodies everything that I believe about food and drink. And I have a, a you know, very kind of strong set of principles around how I believe we should interact and engage with food and drink. I'm a big uh, kind of subscriber to Michael Pollan's food philosophy. He's been a big influence on us. In fact, we buy a copy of The Omnivore's Dilemma, his terrific book about uh, food uh, for all new employees at the company. And so we really are a values-driven and an ideas-driven company. And for me and my partner, Mike, it really comes from deep inside us. And so Mead is a vehicle for the expression of those values and those ideas. Yeah. And, and, and we can bring those ideas to life, I think, in different ways as well. And, and we plan to with different beverages, but the spirit will, will remain the same. I think you're going to talk a little bit more about this later on, because I know obviously you, you know, off camera, we're talking about a potential rebranding you're looking at at the moment. Uh, you could give mm -hmm. a bit more detail later on in terms of that. But I mean, has it been a tough sell in terms of educating people what, what mead is? Um, you know, like from, from my perspective here in the UK, it's, it's not necessarily been seen as a novelty, but, you know, like it would be in like, I don't know, Viking themed bars or whatever, people are drinking mead or, or whatever. It's seen as an artisanal yeah. product. But has there been a difficulty? You know, I mean, for what it's worth, the current branding, I think, tells the story very well. You know, you have something, I think it says like gluten free for 7,000 years BC or whatever. I thought that was really sharp, mm. but getting kind of like cut through. But, you know, like, has it, has, is there a, is there a something in the challenge that's going to stop people from drinking, say, Gale's beer? Are they going to drink that more than your mead? Or tell us about that. Yeah, they, they will, but she has a disc golf course, so it's not really <laughs> yeah. comparison. It's, it's true. Yeah, I'm there on the golf course. Yeah, no, uh, Johnny, that's, you're absolutely right. And while I believe deeply in the product mm -hmm. and in the idea of taking an insect byproduct, honey, and turning that into a delicious alcoholic beverage, we are the, one of the core insights driving our rebrand, which we'll be launching later this year, is that mead has some baggage and it's exactly what you said. And what we found talking to probably thousands of people over the last few months, we've worked a couple of uh, food and drink festivals, we've done sampling, friends, sommeliers, dive bar owners. We've had a lot of conversations and what we found is most people, I think there's a little less awareness in, in Canada and North America than there would be in the UK. But generally speaking, most people know very little and don't think they know what meat is and have a vague idea of it. And we thought that we could work with that. And what we found is that perception they have is just enough in that very kind of quick moment when you're perhaps standing at the bar and ordering a drink, enough to dissuade people from trying meat. We uh, have a new kind of label, which, which we can uh, talk about, but the idea is that 
we want to evoke lightness, simplicity, low sugar, low calorie, low carb, uh, fizzy, dry, crisp drink. And me yeah. does not paint that picture in people's minds. But I guess the, the, the upside is potentially, like you said, if the education becomes strong, if you're able to talk to the sommeliers, get it made as a premium product, as a new category within restaurants, food pairings or whatever, the potential could be there and maybe not being first to market, but actually with the branding or whatever you're delivering, it could be really strong, I think. You know, it, it's, an, it's a really exciting opportunity and, and there's no question that you are correct in a certain context, but the reality of consumer behavior and consumer perception is that it is very expensive to change it on mass. Yeah. And if you, if we were AB InBev, you know, if we were prepared to spend, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars on marketing yeah. and I'm not, you know, throwing that out there, like it, it is that order of magnitude, Yeah. then it is possible to build a category for sure. And once yeah. in a while you can hack culture and it takes on a life of its own and becomes this viral sensation or, you know, you have some celebrities who take it on or whatever it is. But, but the reality is, and what we've come to understand is we don't want to be in the business of building a category. We want to be in the business of building a business. And so we're going to fish where the fish are and uh, we're going to stop using the word mead altogether, Wow. which, which is a, uh, a disappointment to some people who love the idea of what we're doing, but in fact, what we uh, what we believe is the things we love about mead. We're staying true to those. What yeah. what attracted us to this business, the values underpinning it, the philosophy of, of the company. But what we're going to do is uh, use some different language, and we're going to call our drink a spritzer. Right. Okay. And a spritzer uh, in Ontario, uh, mead is considered wine it's kind of taxed accordingly and, and treated as such and the idea is essentially if you ferment grapes that gives you conventional wine if you ferment honey it gives you honey wine or mead and because ours is a lower abv sparkling version of that we think a spritzer effectively conveys that idea but we also think that it more accurately gives people a sense of what our drink's going to taste like and so if they sidle up to the bar and the bartender says would you like a, a pint of beer or a spritzer the spritzer is going to actually help them understand more clearly what our product really yeah. is well it gets that cut through doesn't it everybody can understand it you know i think that's it's you know gail is nodding away here for anybody who's yeah. on the audio here in terms of getting that you know at the end of the day there is no point in calling it mead like you said if it just isn't doing what you need it to do you know that name may have worked for many many years but there's probably a reason why it's not mainstream now if this is a way of actually repackaging it and saying, well, you know, this is what can do, then that's hopefully worked for yourself. I want to follow up there because Gail, I know obviously you've got quite an interesting story about how you got into this. I take it you didn't come out of the womb and say, you know, I'm I'm, I'm buying the farm. I'm going to originally, I'm going to eventually become a, a hop farmer and a you know beer kingpin or whatever. Tell us why you got into this kind of business. How did you end up here? Yeah, well, um, <clears throat> actually, I was born on a farm. Oh, well, there <laughs> we go then. From, yeah, I was born on a farm not far from this farm, um, although I did uh, spread my wings and I was in Toronto uh, for 17 years as a film producer. Right. Um, 
And as wonderful as that career was, I did feel like there was something missing. And um, all those years I lived in Toronto, you would find me in my backyard or my friend's backyard in the soil. So it wasn't that unusual to come back home. We bought this, these uh, 30 acres and uh, my husband and I, my husband also is quite uh, environmentally uh, keen. He loves to grow food. And so, um, so yeah, that's kind of when we first got here, it was like the brewery kind of came after the development of the farms. So mm. we, we were more motivated. We were, we were, um, we were, uh, pregnant with our first child and we wanted to grow our own food and be a bit more sustainable. And, yeah. and that's sort of how, how it, it got birthed. Yeah. And then the brewery came many years later. Yeah. Did you think it was always in your mind, the back of your mind that you would say, quit the rat race? Or was it just one of those things where everything came together? Uh, you know, tell me more about your thoughts. Yeah, you know, it's funny, you can be in a career for a long time. And, um, you know, you, you do stop and kind of question what you're doing. And there were many moments where I was not completely fulfilled. And I think it took maturity and age and also I, like risk, like, had we thought about the decision too long and said, okay, we'll plan to move in two years. I don't know if we ever would. When we made the decision, it was three months on the farm. We got the, we got the farmhouse and, and it was, we were, and everyone kind of was like, oh my God, that's crazy. <laughs> what do you do? Like, yeah. But I was like, you know, sometimes if you think about things too long, you yeah. almost drag yourself down rather than just jumping in full force and just realizing that this is what we both wanted to do. So why wait? Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, but it, and it took a few years to even get ourselves sort of set up in the farming and learning that skill and then making the connections with other brewers. Well, yeah. this is what I was going to ask you actually was in terms of the skills you've had to learn to do what you do. I mean, you know, I'll go on to Ben in a minute, but obviously in terms of how he's learned to do what he's done in terms of mead. But I mean, even for both of you, like, you know, mm-hmm. Gail, like I, I take, you know, you said you were born a farm, but you know, that, that was many years ago. Yeah. So like having yeah. to learn to be a farmer, to do those things, different hours. Um, and then obviously going straight into the brewing, like how much stuff have you been able to almost outsource and how much do you get stuck in yourself? Or, you know, are you a delegator? Are you an organizer? Like, like what are you doing yourself on a day-to-day basis? <clears throat> yeah, that's, that's a, it's a great question. Uh, so one thing I found about farming, and I think a lot of farmers can relate to this is unless you're a huge farm where you have employees, it's a very solo venture. So there were, at that time, my partner, Phil, uh, was working for a solar renewable company and he was kind of commuting. So I was here on the farm by myself farming for about three or four years before I started hiring an intern. Um, So when the brewery was birthed, I thought, oh, how nice, because we'll start having people around (laughs) and then (laughs) I'll start building a community here. Um, My producing background has been essential, I think, in building the business because Mm -hmm. I'm very organized and and, um, task oriented. My partner is a very blue sky, bigger thinker, and we actually work really well together because he's kind of got these, you know, grandiose ideas. And then I'm, I kind of take them and I massage them and, you know, see how realistic they are. Um, yeah. 
we're both pretty good at delegating now in the beginning, we took on so much and some new business owners, you're working insane hours to try to get it off the ground. Um, and it, uh, those years, the earlier years, those first two years of launching this were probably the toughest, uh, yeah. that, you know, I never, you don't really think about that when, when you're leaving your, you know, you kind of get worried about it, but then when you're in the trenches, you're kind of like, whoa. Um, so I appreciated some of the questions that are going to come up about sort of self-care because those were um, definitely needed during that time. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I think I, I think that the um, my partner and I have really honed in on 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 who works best in what role. He's mm-hmm. more business development and sales, and I'm more. Uh, farm-based HR admin and, and it, it seems to work so I'm going to actually use that use the word partners I think it's a great way to ask this question of Ben as well like in terms of delegation in terms of working with a partner I know obviously you said Mike um, is obviously with you in the business Ben you know like are, are you both almost like the perfect match you know like obviously Gail's partner as a husband you know like in terms of that in terms of yourself working with Mike like have you did you know him for many years you know how you each operate like how do you both rub up against each other working yeah you know there's this notion I think especially in Silicon Valley that there's this formula for picking a partner and uh you know your partner should have complementary skills and and I think conventionally be like well you need a technical person and you need a business person and and, you know whatever that may be um having you know built a business previously with partners who had quite different skill sets to me um i would say i jumped in with mike with no reservations about the fact that our skill sets overlap a great deal um because one of our mantras uh in in this business is um and in any business is it's not how but who and there the early days for sure. And we're deep in it right now where, you know, we're in over our heads left, right and center. And you have to <laughs> certainly beat back the panic, you know, yeah. but what it comes down to is the kind of producer's mentality of let's break it down. How do we do this step-by-step? Step. It feels overwhelming because there's a lack of clarity about how to proceed because we've never done this kind of thing before. Um, but you know, you just have to break things down and, and go kind of task by task and be very organized. So, uh, uh, Mike, uh, my partner has been a friend of mine for 20 years and we both played similar roles in our previous businesses. He built a very successful, uh, creative agency here in Toronto as well. And we were both playing dual roles of, business leadership and also playing a big role in creative leadership. We both are creative thinkers with big ideas, but when we both can bring it back down to earth. So we're not on paper, maybe the ideal partners, but the reality is that the hardest thing about building a business is not doing the difficult tasks. It's staying positive. It's working hard. It's continuing to be productive and it's figuring out how to get through the unanticipated problems because that's, the nature of daily life. And so when we face difficult problems, I I never feel like, oh, I wish I had the partner with this specific skill set to solve this problem. It's always like, is Mike still super optimistic that we're going to solve this? 
Is yeah. he is he getting down about this? Like he, uh, he's a perfect partner to me because he's he's just a rock, and uh, we're both very kind of even tempered and very rational about how we solve sometimes problems that can feel uh, intractable. Yeah, of course. And I mean, that's a very healthy uh, way to think. And obviously, like you said, you've, you've thought about this, I think, at length. This is the perfect one, though, to ask the perfect opportunity to ask you guys now about work-life balance, about health and happiness, about mental health. Like, what, what are things, I'm just going to throw this in there, so whoever wants to grab it, go for it. But, you know, like, like what, what sort of things do you put in place to, to kind of keep it all together? Because it's great to think in this way when you're not under pressure, when you're not under a lot of stress, when you're not whatever, but you know, beyond reaching for an alcoholic drink or whatever, or grabbing one off the line, you, know, you might do maybe having a bottle of wine or a couple of beers at night is your chill out. But like, like what sort of stuff are you doing, which is basically helping you just balance everything, you know, in your life? Ben, you wanna, oh, okay. Um, <clears throat> yeah, so uh, so I have found our farm to be my therapy. Uh, we, Like yeah. I said, we have lots of trails I, and I literally have a dog and it's my therapy dog <laughs> and we walk. <laughs> and yeah, I, I imagine you have lots of chats with him like that. You know, like all. Meditative walks every day um, and, and it's uh, just grounding and you sort of have to just realign yourself with the bigger picture. And part of that is just like, it sounds really kind of um, cliche, but like literally walking the soil of your own property that's giving you the richness of your life, like and appreciating it and just stopping and kind of taking those breaths. And then uh, weekly yoga, like three or four times a week <laughs> yeah. and some meditation, um, which I didn't do in the earlier parts, so that two year craziness that I spoke of. And um, I had to reach for other tools at the end of that because I was feeling really burnt out. And mm -hmm. um, it's been a, 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 an eye opening sort of experience, um, being able to take 15 minutes to myself and not feel guilty about it every day. So. From my own perspective, yeah, I think that if I can do the Holy Trinity, it doesn't happen every day, but yoga, meditation and a bit of exercise, it yes. just makes you feel more productive, more relaxed, more chilled. And it just opens up that space, I think, to, to, to not like, you know, you, you could just ease over the small things. How about yourself? And are you a, uh, are you drinking loads of mead or like, like, what are you doing to kind of, you know, keep it all together? No, I mean, it's funny and, and it's, it's easy to uh, um, kind of make the joke about reaching for the product, but uh, I'll, I'll speak to that piece first because it's an interesting one. And, and for me, anyway, getting into the alcohol business, I, it did require a moral reckoning for me at the outset, which is to say alcohol has always been uh, an important part of my life and I care deeply about wine and love the world of wine and I like a good beer but I needed to believe that what we were producing was ultimately a net positive contributor to society and not merely a vice and not mm. merely something that we indulge and allow ourselves to do even though it, you know we could all agree we'd be better off without it and so that was an intellectual but also personal emotional process for me to come to understand that and the the intellectual piece is uh, to come to really understand and believe that alcohol plays a really important role in a healthy social 
environment. And, you know, humans have been making alcohol or entheogens, mind-altering substances, you know, since the dawn of time. Yeah. And what we see historically and, and through an anthropological lens is that alcohol has often played a role of facilitating social cohesion and building trust. And the societies and tribes that drank together were the ones that thrived. It really played a role similar to, to religion. And, and so I do believe that alcohol has a healthy place, uh, you know, an, an appropriate place in a healthy life. And for me personally, having been through, especially the bizarre and difficult past couple of years that we've been through of COVID, and I am a, you know, I'm an aggressive extrovert. I need social interaction. What I found was that the best way for me to unwind after a stressful day is to have a drink with a friend and to socialize and to be with people. And I believe a lot in alcohol as a social lubricant. And so it's not about getting drunk, but it is about having a drink or two. So that's been a really important piece in maintaining balance for me. Yeah. The other big piece in maintaining my sense of balance um, is I've got three young kids uh, and a wife with a demanding career. And so I, I have no choice but to give up several hours a day from my work to my children. And, you know, I live with the constant feeling of, I wish I had done more today. Um, but I also recognize that while I may not be feeling a sense of mindfulness and contentment when I'm, you know, having oatmeal thrown at me, <laughs> you know, at 7.30 a.m., or whatever, when I could be, you know, maybe catching up on emails or whatever. It is a really important grounding piece. And when I'm with my kids, uh, you know, there's no alternative but to be fully present and engaged with them. Yeah, I'm very conscientious about not using my phone in front of my children. I really try to avoid that. And so when I'm with my kids, I'm with my kids. And I think the essence of mindfulness is just being fully present. And, and so I don't mm-hmm. meditate. Um, but I have things that I do that allow me to be fully engaged and immersed in the moment. And, and the last piece for me is playing hockey, which, uh, again, in non-lockdown times, two, three days a week, when I'm on the ice, all I'm thinking about is hockey. And yeah, I mean, you know, that's, that's my meditation. The, I, think, I think that's very healthy, the way you just described those kind of mindfulness moments, whatever we call it. It is almost like a meditation. It's just a deep focus on something. Like you said, ice mm-hmm. hockey being with the kids it just takes you out of your day this is what we're looking for you know what it's like mm-hmm. when you can be sat in front of a computer screen and you just you think you should be there and you're moving things around and actually you're not doing an awful lot but it makes much better to get out for half an hour have a walk or whatever you leave your phone at home and just actually take that time you'll come back and probably do three times the amount of work in that 30 minutes as you would do while looking at a screen Absolutely. Also, I just want to say I'm going to borrow that story about alcohol being a social lubricant when my wife is saying to me, well, I'm going to the pub yet again this week or something. I'll be like, did you know it's been used for thousands of years? <laughs> it's a great tale. It's a great story. Well, and, 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 sorry, just to say the pub is the essential kind of manifestation of that idea. I mean, in yeah. a, it, the, the death of the British pub is such a sad story about the decay of the social fabric. You know, and those two are, are deeply intertwined. 
Yeah, I do. Sometimes as I drive past, like, and one has been turned into like a daycare centre or something, I do like a shed a tear or something. And I'm just like, how could this happen? Because you know, it's never going to be able to come back. You know, there's plenty of new bars opening. But like you said, it's like, once that kind of history and the original features and the characters in there. But you know, like, it's become less of a place where people will go every night after they finish work, after seeing seeing their wife or whatever. And it's become more of like a once a week type of thing. So it, it's tricky, you know, changes. But then, you know, like I said, there'll be many times where I'll go and we'll go with the kids as well to places like you're describing that you do, Gail, or like you're planning on doing. Mm-hmm. And in terms of, you know, what you, you know, you'll want to have a beer or two and there's street food there and there's whatever, you know, like it becomes an occasion where everybody, the whole family can enjoy. You ought to say something, Gail. Oh, I just, yeah, I wanted to say that uh, pre owning a brewery I never felt like I had to do any dry months Uh, but now that our summer patio so our our beer gardens are adjacent to our house (laughs) and I find it so social in the summer it's great fun but I usually find dry October is what resets me too like I admit I have to kind of just I'm tired of beer and I'm saying that as a beer owner but I'm like I'm done and I need to do a little cleanse, <laughs> which, I, been a great, which is a sign that it's been a great summer. <laughs> I, I, I can see, you know, Ben's going to be shipping up a case of mead going, hey, you said you were done with beer, but here's, here's what you yeah, need in exactly. your life. I actually was going to say, Ben, I think your product would be really great on our patio. I'm going to connect with you. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. No, it's, uh, it's really cool hearing your story. I mean, I, I don't know. Uh, credit to to you and your team johnny because uh it's there's a really great natural alignment here do you know what this is why i love it and people who listen and watch our show regularly will know obviously we do try to make sure we have people it doesn't always work in terms of like trying to connect people but i think you know we had um a load of yogis and pilates teachers on a few months ago and it was really exciting to see actually on their own back they're all over the world, Canada, UK, US, and all actually did a number of Instagram live stories together where they were, you know, built, bringing their communities together. And there were some keep fit enthusiasts and, and health entrepreneurs who we were doing before Christmas and they got together and done some stuff together. So look, I mean, that's what the world's about, isn't it? It's about connecting. You know, I think anybody who's listening to this right now should know it's all about that network. It's a case of expanding it out. And again, it's genuine relationships, I think. That's when you can talk business afterwards. I think really cold cells are always hard work, but I think if you can develop that rapport and know where there is a natural fit, then I think everybody wants to help each other, especially in, you know, we were interviewing coffee entrepreneurs last week and that's such a big community, coffee worldwide. They all try to help each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I'm, uh, that's one thing I've really found in the brewing community is, um, and even in just being a brewer in our community, the more partnerships we can make with other farms, other organizations, you, you realize how much you both can benefit from, 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 or just with an idea, like just coming up with something. Of course. And I think when you, when you're building a company based on uh, a set of values in the way that I think we both are, Mm -hmm. it goes without saying that the competition is the status quo is the way that business is conventionally done. And so we are, it's not that we're not competitive. It's just that we view organizations uh, and companies like Goodlot as allies in the fight against industrial agriculture, in the fight against, you know, climate change, uh, pr- climate change and, and, and just 
the conventional business practices which continue to dominate the market, which are destroying the planet and which don't take people into consideration particularly. So, Absolutely. you know, it's not that we're not competitive. It's just that we know who our, who our enemy is. Yeah. I don't think I'm you thinking. can launch a business these days without, I, I almost feel like it's, it's imperative to have those values in mind when launching a business these days. Like it almost seems crazy that a business can even get far down the road without embracing some of these forward thinking, not even forward thinking. They're actually issues that need to be addressed now. I, 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 on the one hand, I agree with you and I couldn't fathom doing it. On the other hand, the reality is that most of the business operates in that way yeah. still. That's what dominates the market. And, and it, it can be so hard to square sometimes that, you know, you go to such lengths to make a decision that's incrementally better for, for the planet because you just couldn't do it any way, other way. And, uh, you know, the important thing is to stay grounded in the reality that that's not yet the norm, which is why we have to talk about it, which is why we have to push for it. And which is why we have to help together, but also yeah. to, to, um, you know, to remember how far some of the big, you know, big organizations are from, from making these changes. And I'm not just talking about the, the alcohol industry, but you know, food and beverage Agreed. broadly. Um, yeah. it, it's, it's really crazy when you look at some of the conventional practices of large organizations now. Yeah, that's true. And I mean, do you know what? I mean, I think it's a perfect segue to talk more about branding. You know, we talked about it earlier on. I just want to find out a little bit more uh, about how you came about your brand, about how you're telling your story and everything online. Yours, Gail, I think, you know, obviously we know Ben is rebranding, so you tell us a little bit more in a minute about that. But in terms of yourself, Gail, with obviously you coming up, I think you tell a really cohesive story about your kind of brand. You know, tell us how you developed that. Yeah. Um, you know what? In fact, before we even launched, we worked with, um, we, well, inter like internally, my partner and I had uh, some ideas on names and our, worked on our values and our missions. But it really took um, this wonderful gal, uh, Laura Wills, who's a branding specialist in Toronto. Um, she used to work at some larger agencies and went out on her own. And she worked with us for about a year and a half and, and it was questionnaires and she would come up to the farm and stay for a weekend to get a feel for the farm. And so, so she really helped us develop our branding, but it was sort of a slog going through the process. I thought, oh my God, how many more things do I have to write out? And, but it, what it did is it really narrowed down, you know, what our sort of core values were, what my husband and I weren't aligned on and, and where we were. Um, and so in retrospect, the process, I believe, was hugely foundational for us moving forward. And I think had we not done that process, um, I think we probably would have floundered a little bit more in, in knowing who we were in the beginning. Um, yeah, really. Yeah. I mean, uh, people will know, listen to our show regularly, know that I'm not just, you know, a, a, an ass kisser. If you know, I mean? I, you know, if I don't get your brand or whatever, then I probably won't mention it. <laughs> but I actually <laughs> think it's it, it does tell a real story of like back to the farm. The products feel like it connects. It's an extension. The social media feels like it's very genuine and connects with that as well. I think like you're, I think basically what you're saying is it, it was worth doing that background work, those 18 months to get the values, the yeah. mission. And I guess everything connects so strongly into that. 
It does. Yeah, it really did. And, and um, I remember when she first brought us the name, because we had other ones in mind. And she said, No, I really think this embodies. And at first, we were like, I don't know. But within like, days, we were like, Oh, it just makes so much sense. So yeah, yeah, it, I hate to say it, because I know they're expensive to do those branding. But I, I do really feel like it got just got us off on that right trajectory. And, yeah, and was able to consolidate our vision. It's kind of you know what you stand for, and that north star, which you always have to refer back to, I think is so important as well. Like you know, I think it, it helps you launch new products, new services, can branding, whatever you kind of do. Yeah, it, you have to make sure that you're all kind of within that zone, right? That you're, yeah. and actually, once we did that work, it was almost like embedded in it. Like we haven't been we haven't had, I mean, you should always question, you know, what you're going to put on your can or how, what your verbiage is or your, your, your marketing in general, but it, what it does is it gives you that laneway. So there, mm. that you don't have to worry too much, it gives you flexibility, but you kind of know you're already in, in line. So yeah. I found it very helpful. No, that's great. And you know what, I was going to ask you about like how much you did it yourself and, and obviously going out, but actually that makes a lot of sense to work with a branding expert, just because I think it sets you up mm-hmm. for the right foundation. In the day, whether it's direct to consumer, selling into other places, the experience, it has to be right and means that it's not going to be an expensive process if you're you know built up a load of inventory and obviously can't shift it or whatever. Again, I don't know if that's your story right now, Ben, in terms of doing it, but are you doing a similar thing with your rebrand? Is I mean, we talked earlier on about why you're rebranding. You know, obviously the seltzer, that sort of stuff as well, the spritzer kind of stuff. Maybe spritzer is actually what you're saying, but whereabouts are you in terms of this rebrand right now? Have you taken it back to basics? Are you working with experts? You know, is it literally a roots to branches kind of thing that you're doing? Yeah, when Mike and I took over the company about six months ago, uh, we sat back and, and, and talked at length about why we were doing it and what we believed the company could stand for. And in my previous professional chapter, this is what I did. I, I, I led a design studio and helped other organizations develop strategy. And when we talk about a brand strategy, it's really, as, as I think you, you both said very well, it's the essence of who you are. It's why you do it. It's the world you live in. It's what you stand for as an organization. And, you know, the logo, which is often what people kind of think about when you think about branding, should be the pure and clear visual expression of those ideas and values. But the logo isn't the brand. The brand is, is what underpins it. And we did this exercise in the very early days and then uh, essentially put on a single piece of paper what we stood for and what our brand was. And, and, you know, I had over the years kind of learned different methodologies for that. And so really had uh, the tools to do that and and a framework for that. And so what's heartening to me and a sign that we did that, I think pretty successfully in the first place is that we then went out into the world. And as I talked about, kind of had these conversations and, and learned about our business and talked to uh, lots of people and developed this clear understanding of kind of some of the baggage of need as we spoke about and understanding where the market is and, and our marketing thinking has totally changed, but the brand, which is the inward looking piece has not mm-hmm. changed at all. 
And so what we determined drove this company in the deepest sense from day one has not changed at all. But what we also determined at that time was that the visual expression of that was not actually a great distillation of those values and those ideas. Yeah. Royal Canadian Mead is not a name that evokes simplicity, a connection to nature, a, a commitment to building regenerative business. It's that's about something else. Yeah, it sounds very heritage. So it sounds traditional, that sort of stuff. Yeah, and it was it was the name is intentionally a bit ironic. Uh, the branding um, that we kind of inherited um, was really uh, almost ironically and resolutely modern. And this is not, you know, your great, 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 great grandfather's need. This is yeah. something new and modern and different. And we're just less interested in telling that story. And we're much yeah. more interested in telling the story of why we do this. And so the rebranding exercise will be the exercise of creating a name and a visual identity. And when I talk about the visual identity, I mean a logo and the full visual language we use across all of our communication touch points yeah. that reflects the essence of who we really are. And so we will be working with the design studio to do that. We are in the midst of the kind of RFP process right now. And so we'll be selecting someone soon, probably by the time this podcast, uh, you know, is uh, out in the world, we'll have hit the ground, we hope with, with our partner. Brilliant. And we'll bring that brand to life through graphic design with that studio. But we're also, as we build out this barn and working with a fantastic interior design team and our architecture team there, thinking about the brand as well, because that impacts materiality, the experience that people have, uh, everything communicates. And so we want to ensure that every touch point of our brand experience communicates our values. And in terms of products, it's almost like product stays the same, but it's the branding. So please let me rest assured that I'll be able to have your sour cherry mead one day. Like if, uh, if I make it to Canada or you don't ship to the UK. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. I mean, amazing. I think that, yeah, we, we can, we can talk about that, that piece as well, which is um, the product development side and, you know, what flavors are going to be around forever. What's our flagship? Like these are all questions that to be honest, we're still exploring. Yeah. I think that the reality is that, you know, you try your best with a bunch of different products, but the hope is that Often in our industry, what happens is there's one flavor, one skew that really takes off. Yeah. Uh, and we're early days. We don't know what that kind of hero product will be yet. Yeah. And much as we may think that we know at certain times, it will need to be really kind of tested in, uh, at a more Get that market level. data and everything. Yeah, yeah. of course. So, so, so important. Just, I mean, just getting the feedback. I think as well, like you're saying, I think, you know, as Gail was saying, and, and you know, like just listening to your customers more, surveying, finding out what the owner wants, but also finding out what the market wants, surveying users, you know, what's going to use. And like you said, something will come to the fore in terms of people will use your product in a way that you can't even imagine yet. So, uh, no, that's really exciting. And I can't wait to see the rebrand as well. We're going to switch gears just very quickly here because, you know, you know, we're going to be entering our, our, our kind of rapid fire round too, but I wanted to ask a quick question of you guys because, you know, running a business is hard, you know, no matter what people, some people say, you know, on Instagram or social, like, oh, you know, I did this, I made all this. I think we know that a lot of that is kind of, you know, isn't, isn't reality. So, you know, you, you know, business owner doesn't exist in a bubble 
whether you're running a tech company in Silicon Valley or whether you're where you are running your business, I'm interested to know like who you look up to for advice, whether that's influence, say influence, I'm talking about influential entrepreneurs, people who've written books, do you listen to podcasts? Are there any books that you'd recommend to fellow entrepreneurs about, you know, that, that keeps you on track? Like where, where do you get information just to, to fill you in or, or is it mainly instincts? Gail, maybe you'd be a good one to go with. Yeah. Um, well, you know, it's, it's uh, my go-to book. I don't, I've never really read it all the way through because it's just bits and pieces. Um, but the tools of Titans by, T- yes, uh, by Tim Ferriss. Tim Ferriss. Oh, yeah. I just, I can pick that up at night and just like, you know, just read and it's, yeah, it yeah. gives me ideas. So I, I'm really inspired and I love all the people he's uh, interviewed in that, in, in that. And I love how he kind of breaks it down into wealth, health and wisdom. Which it's very is digestible, exciting. isn't it? It's a, like you said, you can read it in bed and not feel like you're reading a business book. Yeah, exactly. You can just take the bits and pieces um, that speak to you. Um, we don't really follow any influencers online. I would say uh, business to business owners, like the brewing community is pretty collaborative and open yep. and transparent. So um, like right now we're actually just sussing out entering the farmer market um, realm. <clears throat> Ontario just last year allowed breweries to now serve samples at farmer's markets, Brilliant. which seems like a natural fit for us since we're a farm first. Um, so yeah, so, so right now I'm kind of in the midst of just reaching out to other owners saying, Hey, what's your experience been that kind of thing. So there, I find that open dialogue really helpful. Um, this industry is pretty open that way. Um, and, and also just, we, we are members with, um, our local organizations. Like I'm a member with our ecological farming association. We're members of regeneration Canada because of the practices that we use on the farm. And they're great sources of, of information and networking um, techniques to use and try and kind of just inspire me daily to kind of I push my limits. On, I think that's a good yeah. approach. You've kind of got your macro advice, but in a digestible way, you know, tools of titans, but also like you said, you're hyper relevant and hyper useful information from people locally. I think that's so strong. I think that yeah. network, like we mentioned before, is so, so important. The other thing is too, is having that one friend that's sort of very business minded. Actually, we have a friend that's a consultant and um, he has nothing to do with beer, but running things by him is just eye-opening sometimes. So just having that outside who doesn't know anything about the industry, but can just kind of give you some guidance from from a business level is very handy. So tap into those friend resources you have. Amazing. And <laughs> yeah. uh, Tools of Titans is going on our on our library as well that we always make a note from our entrepreneurs as well. How about yeah. yourself, Ben? Like, 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 where do you get your advice from, you know, in terms of uh, online or offline resources? Yeah, I mean, I think that I, I, I don't engage a lot with the kind of business self-help genre uh and there's nothing direct in terms of like all entrepreneurs must read this book as i said earlier if there's a book that's influenced this business more than any other uh for me it would be the omnivore's dilemma which is a book of moral philosophy more than business how-to uh and that's our values it's not going to help us you know understand how to solve business problems necessarily I've started to 
build out a network a little bit of others in the industry and um Slake is a brewery about 12 minutes from our home in the county. And uh, they've been a wonderful resource in, in answering some questions for us. And we're just starting to kind of build that network of like-minded uh, entrepreneurs in the beverage world who have maybe faced similar problems or challenges to us. Yeah. And so um, I think that, that that's, that's basically what it is. And then, yeah, the, the friend network. So having friends, uh, you know, lawyers or uh, entrepreneurs in completely different spaces. And, and then the last piece I'd be remiss not to mention, Scott Friedman is an entrepreneur uh, just outside of Toronto, who is our kind of, um, a kind of silent partner on this business. And he uh, has been through a series of entrepreneurial journeys and he's built and sold companies successfully. And uh, so he is absolutely someone we turn to uh, with a whole category of, of questions that are outside of our, our toolbox. Amazing. Thanks for being so honest on those as well. One other book I wanted to mention, let them go surfing by. Uh, ah, it's so funny you say that. Let my people go surfing from Patagonia. You're wearing Patagonia today yeah. as well. Yeah. It's a great book. We are sponsored you know, I, by I, them. Yeah. We're part of oh, their cool. uh, workwear. Patagonia sponsors. Yeah, right, so okay. anyway, we love Patagonia. Not, I mean, yes, oh. their clothes are awesome, but their values and yes. what they represent as a business is what we strive to be. <laughs> it, it, so that's a new goal for me is to get sponsored by them. But I appreciate you mentioning it because <laughs> it was in my head and then it slipped out. But when we started working together, Mike and I, we each bought each other a book and that was the book he bought me. And, and it, it is an influential one. Yeah. Terrific, uh, book. Yeah. Uh, Let my people go surfing by Eve Schwinnard. Yeah, yeah. It's such a good it's book. A and I think it's so important as well, because I think it's worth billions, but it wasn't, that wasn't the plan. And I think everything he's done is almost like would traditionally torpedo a multi-billion business, you know, even the repairing aspects the shares to, staff the the lifestyle the work-life balance but actually it shows you can build a multi you know like a global entity really you know international business and actually still have amazing values and still be massively respected it's a great book and great story yeah amazing i'm glad we're all on the same page here we go <laughs> yeah. Let, let's get more people reading that book yeah. right we're gonna go into our famous rapid fire round now so um again short answers straight to the point but uh, i'm sure there's some golden here from you guys i'm gonna go gail then ben for each of these so gail say i bumped into you in three years time where would you like your business to be then um uh, we are in the midst of putting in a four season facility uh, it, the building is starting this month. And so I hope that we'll have two seasons or two years of um, on-site sales all year round. And, Amazing. And yeah, yeah. That's, How about yourself, that's my, my goal, yeah. <laughs> Business is booming at our facility in Prince Edward County. We're, our drink is widely available across Canada. We've entered a large number of American markets and are starting to build momentum there uh, and uh, we are starting to make inroads internationally as well wow that's a good plan you've got we got over a thousand days to make that happen so you know i'm looking forward to tracking your progress here plus obviously on sale at good lot farm as well i want to i want to see that actually <laughs> happening on the yeah. patio okay gail yeah. you're up again 
Uh, if you could use one or two words to describe what it's actually like to run your own business, what would those couple of words be? Flexible and uh, uh, creative. Okay, very good. How about yourself? <laughs> Restrictive and freeing. <laughs> wow gosh there's so many uh you know there's some polar opposites here happening actually i like it okay um gail as an entrepreneur what does success ultimately mean to you uh work-life balance with the financial freedom to travel wherever i'd like <laughs> that's a nice one that freedom is always so important how about yourself yeah. and capacity to be uncompromising okay very good um gail what's the favorite product that you sell uh you know what's your favorite drink or something that you sell Ooh, right now we have a uh dark english ale called chuff to bits uh and it is, <laughs> i ate it with beef stew the other night and it's a specialty runoff and i wish we had it in cans <laughs> oh wow i was gonna say yeah. it sounds almost like something that would be great in the stew to to you know or a, a stout oh, or something did. that could be used <laughs> oh very good then yeah i like cooking with beer as well how about yourself Ben? what's the what's your favorite say drink that you that you currently sell it's shifted with the seasons but now that we're in winter i've been really enjoying our lemon ginger session mead, which is made with equal parts, fresh pressed ginger juice and lemon juice. Yeah. And uh, it just feels like a very life-giving beverage that is uh, is a good winter drink. Yeah, and I, I just gotta say as well from, from your answers here as well, this is why, again, not only do we love focusing on independent businesses on this show, but just generally the food and drink scene, you know, like seasonal stuff, you know, you can see you get excited. And actually, the fact you've both given me answers that are kind of just in season or coming out of season or whatever, that's what you want. You know, like we all want variety in life. You know, like you don't want to just be going and buying a slab of the same beers and they just taste all the same or whatever. You want some variety as well. So that's really great to hear. Uh, final question, Gail, uh, remind people where they can find you online. Um, you know, where would you like to point people towards? Yeah, uh, goodlot.beer it's it's um that's where our website is you can access our online store you can read our story it has our instagram and facebook links uh and twitter feed and uh yeah goodlot.beer goodlot.beer good domain <laughs> extension that i like it how about yourself man we can be found online at royalcanadianmead.com on instagram at royalcanadianmead that's m-e-a-d okay amazing and, and like i said i think if we follow you on that then the rebrand will naturally come from that as well so again we all look forward to seeing you on there as well right well this is just the part of the show where i like to thank you guys for coming on the show uh it's been a really enjoyable chat we've covered all sorts of kind of like topics today um great to know your business and really find out what you do and until next time keep winning thanks very much guys have a great day thank you thank you Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Go Solo Show, powered by Subkit. We hope you've had a great time and picked up many new ideas for your own business. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and to follow us on Twitter at team underscore go solo. If you're inspired to get started on your own enterprise yourself, then check us out at subkit.com. We're here for whenever you're ready. 
I've been Johnny Quirk, and until next time, keep winning.